this weekend, our nation has dedicated to remember the life of Martin Luther King. Last year, we did a series entitled, You Asked For It, and we dealt with some very difficult conversations. We, we talked about some very challenging things in our culture. We talked about some personal things, depression, but, but we also talked about some challenging things. We addressed the issue of homosexuality. Uh, we knew that this topic, this issue of race in America, is a very, very divided, potentially divided, and very culturally challenging topic or conversation to have, especially in the context of a local church. Community at large as well, but within a con within context of a local church. We felt last year that this weekend would be the best weekend to address this topic. Little did we know of the conversations and the conflicts that would be taking place in our nation leading up to this weekend. But as you know, it is, it's the elephant in the room. It's the, it's the cultural challenge that we are all experiencing and walking through. Today, we're going to look at a biblical perspective. We're going to look at what God has to say about it. God has a part in this story. He is ultimately the history maker. It's his story. And so we're going to look at what God has to say about it. Then we're going to hear our story. We're going to hear the stories of the individuals behind us, and then your story. What do we do with it today? If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at two passages of Scripture. We're we're looking at the book. Uh, we're looking at Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen, as our theme verse. But the verse I want to focus this morning in is, is found in James chapter two, verse number one. We're looking at verse number one and verse number nine and ten. We're going to look at it in the Amplified Translation. As we do here at City Church, I want you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. James chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, my fellow believers, everyone say, I'm a believer. I'm not a beaver believer. I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm a believer. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality towards people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. But if you show partiality, literally if you show prejudice or favoritism, you are committing sin. Everyone say committing sin. And are convicted by the law as offenders. For whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of breaking all of it. Now turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, our theme verse for this series. The Bible says, if my people, remember this is God speaking to his people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Everyone say, heal their land. God wants to heal our land today. This morning, I'm going to be talking upon the topic of heal our church. Heal our church. Father, we thank you this morning for the grace we've already experienced in such a wonderful way in this service. We've worshiped you. We, we lifted up our hands towards you. And God, we declared your goodness and your grace. And we felt that reality here today. Lord, I'm so grateful for what you're doing in the hearts and lives of every person in this room. It's not an accident or coincidence that they're here today. It's by your design and plan. I believe that you have a word for every person that's here. I, I pray that we'll have spiritual ears to hear. We'll, we'll have eyes to see the, the scales, the blinders, the things, Lord, that potentially that keep us from being able to see the way that you see, the way, the, the perspective, then the plans that you have for all people today. Give us those eyes. Give us those ears. 
And for those who are sharing this morning, in the next few moments, give us the mouth to speak. Lord, we thank you for that grace that's so amazing. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We ask this now in your wonderful and your mighty and your powerful name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, we've all got a story. Isn't that right? Every person in this room has a story. And my story is different than your story. The fact is today we, we're walking in a different set of shoes. It's, it's impossible for me to understand your story unless I sit down and have a conversation about your journey. Uh, someone once told me many years ago, you, do, you can't understand another person until you walk in their moccasins 10 miles. Until you walk out the journey that another person's walking from, you cannot understand the perspective that they bring to their world and to their life. My story as a young man, I, I grew up on the West Coast. I was born in California. My parents moved to Tucson, Arizona as a young man, and I grew up in a predominantly white culture. I, I grew up in a church that was, they, sociologists call it homogeneous. That means most people were the same race. Most people were white. The city of Tucson is a very uh, Hispanic community. It's about 50% Hispanic, about 50% white, at least the county is. And, and so I grew up with a lot of Hispanic people. But in my community, there were very few African Americans. As a matter of fact, I went all the way through grade school, middle school, and it wasn't until I got to high school that I actually remember going to school with the very first African American person. My life at that time, I, I, I saw the world through the lens of a young little white boy growing up. When I was nine years of age, I loved to read. When I was nine years of age, I read two books that began to shape my perspective about the journey of other people that had a, a different experience of life. They were written by a man in the 1800s. His name was Mark Twain. He, he penned two very famous books, lots of famous books, but two of his most famous books were the books Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. At the age of nine, I devoured those books. As a matter of fact, I read everything after that that Mark Twain had written. I loved those stories. And the first time in my life, I, I came to the realization that other people in our culture, in our nation, had a different perspective or a different journey than I had experienced. I, I, I grew up, I went to high school, and at the age of 21, I got good saved. Everyone say good saved. I gave my life fully to Christ. I fully surrendered to Jesus. All the mess and the muck and the junk and the stuff that I was running with and the stuff that I was doing that was bringing so much pain into my family and to my world, I said, Jesus, I want you to take it. I give it all to you. And in that moment, Christ came into my life and I was radically transformed. From the day that I gave my life to Christ, I was passionate about one thing. I was passionate about other people having the same experience that I had with Jesus. I became a little preacher in my workplace. As a matter of fact, the guys that I worked with got so sick of hearing me talk about Jesus that one day this guy walked up to me. He said, I, I don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. He picked me up and he threw me down on the ground. True story. Really happened. I, I just wanted them to experience the love of God that I had experienced. And, and so I found myself in Bible college. And there in Bible college, uh, God began to deal with my heart and life about the mission of my life. And I met the, the best part of my life, the, the better half of my life, Laura, in Bible college. And we got married. And about a year into our marriage, we were praying about God's purpose and plan and where he was taking us. And at that time, I was uh, working in the, uh, I was working uh, managing properties in Seattle and didn't really know what my next step in my life was. And one night, in the response to an altar call that a pastor had given on a Sunday night church message, we were down at the altar and we were praying. 
And as I was praying, I was saying, God, what do you want us to do? What is your purpose and what is your direction for our lives? I, I heard God speak these words to me so clearly. I don't ever remember necessarily meditating or thinking on this verse, but this was the verse that God spoke to me. It was just like an audible voice in my ear. And the Lord said to me, ask of me and I will give you the nations, the nations. Every time you see the word nations in the scriptures, it's always in reference to ethnic groups, people different than you. Ask of me and I will give you nations, the ethnic groups, for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. I knew that God spoke to me. I was so riveted in my heart. I, I went back to my seat and in just a few moments my wife came behind me and I, I turned to her and I looked at her and I said, Laura, did God say anything to you? And without missing a beat, she quoted this verse, ask of me and I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Come on, give God a great big hand. Here, here's the deal. When God speaks to you, God always speaks in stereo. You can write that down. That's, a, that's tweetable. You're going to write that down today. When God speaks to you, it's always in stereo. He always has confirmation. And little did we know that in just a very short period of time, our lives would radically change. For it was in that moment God began to stir something in us. And within less than a year, my wife and I, along with another couple, planted our first local church. It was located in the inner city of Seattle on the corner of Martin Luther King and Cherry. Up to that point in my life, I now had relationships with people of different races and different nationalities, but I had never been actively involved in a community that was completely different than mine. We pastored in a community that was the oldest African-American community in the state of Washington. We went into the city there. We began to love people, and God began to bless our church, and people began to get saved. And I realized at that moment, man, there were, there were different perspectives about politics. There, there were different ways that people looked at the world. There were different life experiences that people had. Now, I'd always known it, but it became very pronounced and very real in that environment. The beautiful thing about God is he, he's a God of diversity. And as I begin to try to understand other people and to share the love of Jesus, begin to share the love of God, uh, my life was forever changed. I, I knew in that moment that I would never go back to the vanilla, manila, plain old, boring, homogeneous church where everybody thought alike, looked alike, walked alike, talked alike. I knew from that day, I knew from that day that God was doing something to me. And over the next five years in the city of Seattle, we would pastor a church and it would attract African Americans. There was a large constituency of Filipinos and our church had many, many Filipinos in it. And I began to learn that's the differences in the Filipino community. I'd, I'd never had a relationship with a Filipino person in my life. And now I have a brother-in-law who's Filipino. And, and the Hispanics begin to come to the church. And it was in that moment, it was in that moment that my life was radically changed. God began to do something deep inside of me, deep inside of my heart. One day I was still in Bible college. We had actually started a church while I was still in school. And I was in the library of our college and I was studying a textbook. And the textbook was quoting this scripture. Jesus speaking to the people. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that it cannot be hidden. And in that moment, 
I realized and I recognized that the church was the solution. The church was the answer. You see, the prophetic words of the prophet Isaiah was a people from every nation, from every background, from every walk of life would stream, would come to the place called the mountain of God or the presence of God. You see, this wasn't a white man's religion. This wasn't a black man's religion, a Native American man's religion, a Hispanic religion. This, this wasn't an Asian person's religion. This was a, a relationship with the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when his people gather together, their light should shine so bright in the city that people would take notice. You know, our culture that we live in today is more divided today. I mean, we've made great strides. We've had our first African-American president, which is an amazing thing. We've made great strides in the area of race. But as you know, even this very weekend, so much tension in our culture around race. It's still a real deal. Racism and discrimination over or, or covert, it still permeates a culture. Not just our culture, I will say. It's just about every culture of the world. But God has something to say to it. God wants to heal our land. I've invited a few friends, and we're going to have a conversation, and you're going to get an opportunity to hear their story. And so I, I want you this morning, I want you to welcome my good friend, Jimmy Watson, right up here at City Church. Come on, can you give Jimmy a great big hand? Amanda Tella, Tellez Lopez. Wow, good morning, guys. Amanda, thank you for joining us. And Brother Deacon Richard Miles right over here. Come on, give it up for Richard Miles. Uh, Brother Jimmy, you've been you've been around City Church for a long time. Matter of fact, how long have you been attending City Church, you think, now? About 18 years. You keep that thing right up, up here, man. <laughs> they got you on the mic up there, oh, so yeah, you got to yeah. talk into that thing. So about 18 years. What, what attracted you to City Church? How did you end up coming here? Um, now, 18 years ago, we were just starting, right? right? We're right. way back. In my, the theater. In the first theater, that's right. Um, well, my granddaughter, mother, was attending this church. And uh, at that particular time, my granddaughter was Christian by you. And I attended a Christian uh, ceremony. And uh, from then on, I began to start uh, coming to City Church. But what really started me coming to City Church was your visit to my home. You and Pastor Laura came to my home, and uh, we welcomed you in, and you began to uh, tell us about what you were trying to do in terms of Start a church here in the community. And I brought you chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> yeah, you brought me chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Not Oreos. <laughs> Not Oreos, but chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and they were good. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, from then on, from that time on, uh, I've been attending Center Church based on the fact that in my, I have an opportunity to go to many churches. Um, but I wanted to come to City Church because my first uh, contact with City Church was an experience that you never forget because you are basically with people that are family. And that's the way it is today. We still continue that tradition, whereas we don't have to worry about uh, being an outsider. That's we excellent. are insider when we come to City Church. You were born and raised here in Florida. Yes. You were born in a different generation. Why don't you talk to us a little about your experience of racism and your journey in the American life? Well, first of all, I grew up in the era of Jim Crow. Um, he wasn't a very nice person by far. Um, we were living segregated. 
we didn't have the um, educational uh, tools that we needed based on race. Uh, we couldn't attend theaters. If we did, we had to go through the back door. And when we got inside, we had to sit in the balcony and white people sit below us. Now, that seemed like an oxymoron to me because I'm up over your head. You shouldn't want me up there. You shouldn't want me down there with you. But that's what Jim Crow was. Jim Crow was a law without fault, so to speak. And from then on, after that, I moved out, went on to college and everything, and I got involved in the civil rights movement during the 60s, protesting. And um, I saw right then that that was the thing to be doing based on the fact that we needed to uh, integrate, we need equality among housing, education, and, and a lot of other things that were <coughs> beneficial to the, the human way of life, which we were treated like second-class citizens under Jim Crow's law. And uh, it's not something that I take lightly to this day. Jim Crow is supposed to be dead, but some type of way he keeps resurrecting himself. And we want to keep him in there. Amen. And that's what I want to say. So uh, you grew up under Jim Crow laws. Obviously, things were uh, uh, un unjust. There was a lack of justice towards, and not just towards African Americans, towards people, uh, minority people, towards Native Americans, towards Hispanic culture. But talk to us about kind of how you walked through that journey as a Christ follower, talk to us about some, an experience that you had that really kind of defined, you know, your relationship with God and and relationship with other people. Yeah. Well, first of all, I, <clears throat> pardon me, I'd be remiss to say if I don't bring my mother and father into this conversation based on the fact that they were Christians. They taught me the tr Christian way of life. I could have had other ways of, 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 of defending myself and this sort of thing, <clears throat> but I didn't take that path. I took another path based on the fact that there was Jesus in my house. And Jesus was in my house every day. He, he wasn't part-time. So every time I walk out that door, on the right-hand side of that door, I always sing the 23rd song, The Lord is My Shepherd. And that's what guided me all through my life up to that point. So you went to college. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, uh, you're in, you were in the educational field. You got mm -hmm. your doctorate. Mm -hmm. You served here in Central Florida at mm -hmm. uh, University of Central Florida. You were vice president of student affairs there for yeah. many years. Um, talk to us about, you know, you moved into the community, some of, maybe some of the challenges you had. Well, uh, one particular challenge come to mind was the fact that uh, I had a neighbor. Uh, I guess he lived up the street. And he didn't stay next door to me. But uh, every day, he would pass by my house, going back and forth to work. And during these times, he would always say, there goes the neighborhood. This is what he's telling me, there goes the neighborhood. And I'm trying to say, well, wait a minute. I've been through the civil rights movement. I've been protesting. So I understand what this man is trying to say to me. He's trying to tell me that once a black person move into a community or a neighborhood, that the property value goes down. Now, from where I came to where I was at that particular time, I knew that that wasn't the case, particularly in my case. So what I began to do was, I began to, to, to say, well, I have to keep my property up, so to speak, in order to please this guy. 
which was the worst thing to do because I don't know this man. He don't know me. All I know is he said, there goes the neighborhood. But I knew what that meant. But anyway, uh, months went by. He kept coming by saying, there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood every time you see me in the yard. Wow. So uh, one day he came by, and I was ready for him. And uh, <laughs> he said, uh, he just waved his hand out the truck, waved his hand at me. I'm saying, well, where is it? There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> so by the time he got his hand back in the truck, I had ran out to the truck at the street to meet him. I'd like to see his face right then. He's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I ran out to meet him. I didn't know what my challenge was going to be when I got there based on the fact that he could have, you know, he could have hurt me in a way. And I could have hurt him too in a way. But that was not my bringing up. That was not my way of life. My life was to love, love conquer hate. And that's what I did. I pushed him. Now, with that being said, I asked him to get out of the truck, drive up in my driveway. So he drove up in my driveway. And uh, we talked. And we talked about family things. We talked about fishing, sports, everything. We talked about his background. And then when, he, when we started talking about his background, I really got an earful because then I knew exactly where he was coming from. He was out of South Georgia, which is known to be a stronghold for the Ku Klux Klan. Known to be. But then I had my challenge to say, well, wait a minute. This man is in my yard. I don't care who he is. He can be a Klan than anybody else. He is in my yard, so I got to deal with this. So being a follower of Christ, no, I did not get religion with him. I welcomed him. We talked, and we talked. And do you know what? After our conversation and everything, this man became one of my best friends. And he's my best friend to this day. Come on, amen. Now, the story could have been different had I went and made an approach or not made an approach to him. But I made the approach to him. I was proactive when I reached out to him. Crossed. You reached out to him. You didn't wait. You took advantage no. of the opportunity. And right. You, exactly. you demonstrated God's love to him. That's exactly. awesome. Thank you. Amanda, welcome to City Church. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, tell us a bit about your journey, how you came to church, and, and uh, a little bit about your background, where you're from. Okay. So I came from, good morning, everyone. I came from Colombia four years ago. Uh, by that time, I was no Christian. I've just become Christian when I started coming to City Church two years ago. And, uh, yeah, I had to face different situations. As you may know, guys, like when you come to another country, you have to leave your home. You have to change a lot of things about your culture and about to face all these situations. It's really hard. So I was, of course, homesick, uh, going through all this process. And during that time, I had my first job uh, in a dealership. And then I had to understand and realize how impactful could be the stereotype thing because I start hearing comments about Colombians, about Latinos. And of course, at that point, I didn't know God like he did. So I was very offended. I was so mad that they, people was telling me that, especially because I did my career in Colombia. I was thinking like I never had that. What kind of things did you experience like when you're in the workplace? <laughs> Obviously, English is not your first language, so there was a, a challenge in the communication or the language barrier. But exactly. what are some of the kind of things that you experienced? Yeah, so communicating, of course. So having all those frustrations when you hear things and you can't even defend or express yourself to communicate something. And then having people taking advantage and trying to look 
and look you down just because you don't know the language or because you don't have the skills. And I had to hear, unfortunately, a lot of comments about drugs and about what type of Colombian, Colombian woman I was. And it was really painful. And I would get defensive and even sometimes tell them, yeah, uh, Pablo Escobar is my uncle. You stop messing with me because I'm going <laughs> to send it to, him, to you. So I will, I, will make up, I will make up things and get all sassy about it. And, and, and of course, I was showing that face, but inside my heart, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of pain and a lot of bad things. And, and then I came to City Church because my family invited me. Like, so I've been here four years. That was the second year. And, of course, I felt so much love. And I start feeling again that I had a place to be myself, to... Uh, be able to ut utilize my skills. So I start serving on the translation team. I, don't ask me why, because I Because <laughs> I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> we put you to work here. Yeah. So, yeah, so you so gave yeah. your life to Christ. Tell us the difference between you were trying to make life happen, you're trying to do it on your own, you were out in the workplace, you were, people were, were uh, looking down on you, you were feeling discriminated against because of the language barrier. How did Christ make the difference in your life? Well, since then, and I start realizing that uh, the way that God sees me and how I had to change some things in my interaction with people, uh, my, I just start healing and changing my behavior and then just always trying to understand that it was about perspective. And they, they, they didn't mean it and they just didn't know who I am. So just putting myself in a place of compassion, kindness, and trying to just keep walking in love no matter what. And just now I just try to pray for them whenever I feel offended and whenever I hear that. And the only thing that we can do is just be, give them a new perspective about it. So the pain, God used that pain ultimately for your gain, right? Yeah, definitely. Right? So, so it looked, for, from the human perspective, being that people saying things, those kind of negative things that prejudice against you, God actually used it for his glory, but for your good. Isn't that right? Definitely. How did and, that happen? Well, uh, there's just so many examples and so many situations. Um, but I think I, I started using my testimony to encourage people that was in the same situation. I'm a counselor too, and I try to utilize that to encourage people to, and now I just, don't take don't, don't take any type of offense when it comes to race and everything. Of course, it's a process. We all are working all working on it. I feel like we all do have stereotypes about everyone, and it's a point of reference. And I get it, but we just gotta be careful because sometimes we can be causing a lot of pain. So just awesome. just Thank remaining you. in love. And Amen. Thank you, Amanda. Richard, talk to us a little bit about your story. How'd you come to City Church and this the area of racism? How has it impacted your life? Well, I came to City Church about eight years ago now, Pastor. It's hard to believe it's been that long. And I moved down to Central Florida uh, for work, and I didn't really know anybody in the neighborhood. Uh, but I knew that I needed to plug into a local church. And uh, one day I heard the music from City Church and kind of drew me in. I took a look at it on the Internet and came the next week and felt so welcome. I've kind of been here ever since. Um, but, you know, in, in my experience, um, you know, Pastor, from our, our, our deacon outing, I love bowling. And ever since I was young, actually, I really enjoyed bowling. I remember going to the bowling alley with my grandmother and my great aunt and uh, watching them on leagues, even going to tournaments with them. And so in high school, I was really excited to find out that uh, bowling was becoming a varsity sport. And so my junior year, I tried out for the varsity team, and I, got, I made the JV team. 
Um, and I was kind of disappointed because I thought I was as good as some of the varsity guys, but you know what, young man at that age doesn't, right? But I made it my mission that I was going to work hard, and I was going to be a part of that team for my senior year. And so for my senior year, I actually did try out again, and uh, this time I made the varsity team, but as an alternate. Um, and over the course of the early season, I, I worked hard again and uh, found myself to elevate my average to the third highest on our team of seven and found myself in the starting rotation for um, the, the bowling team. Um, however, that, that surprised me because as I got to the end of the season during tournament time um, and the coach announced who was going to be on the tournament team, uh, I was placed uh, as second alternate or the last man on the bench after starting for weeks. And when I asked the coach about it, uh, he said that he just felt that this was uh, the best team. Um, and I mentioned to him that, you know, I've been starting for weeks now and obviously my average is higher than several other guys on the team. And uh, he just said, well, if you want to start, you can start on JV. Uh, this is what I feel is the best combination uh, to win. And so I was, I was disappointed, and I went home and I told my mother about that, and she was more disappointed than I was. You know, honestly, she was fed up with it. She, she, she was done with me having to try harder and, and, and prove myself being the only black student on the team and actually the only black student we ever saw in the whole league that I had to work that much harder to just establish myself and get those opportunities. So she said, we're going to go. She's going to go talk to the coach. And she talked to the coach and got the same story. So she said, we're going to go talk to the principal. And the principal said we had to talk to the athletic director. So we went and talked to the athletic director. Athletic director said he was going to talk to the coach and later on came back with the same story. This is the coach's team. He should be able to select. So with about a, a week left before tournament time, my mom made an appointment to go before the school board. Go Tiger Mom. And she came, <laughs> she came before the school board with nervous hands and handwritten notes because she had been at all my practices and recorded my scores and that of other people on the team to try to demonstrate my case that I belonged there. And uh, we didn't hear anything from the school board. But right before the tournament began, the coach was ordered to place the varsity team in order by highest average. And I was entered into the starting rotation. Come on, amen. How did that impact your life, that decision? How did that impact your life? What happened? <laughs> um, actually, our, our team did quite well. And uh, we were the first state champions of Michigan. And I got a scholarship for college. Come on, man. All the stereotypes broken there. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Amanda, maybe you could tell us just something you think the congregation, as far as what can they do as they leave this place, that what is something they can take with them in this area of really seeking to understand other people? Well, the first thing and for sure is like persecution is a blessing. And the Bible say that. So anytime you feel like you're pushed down or people is trying to look down over you, just remind that. Just think that maybe you're doing something right. Maybe there is just jealousy or envy or negative things about it. And, and just keep walking in love no matter what. Then be confident about who you are in Christ. And also be confident about your country. Don't feel ashamed of say where are you from. Don't feel ashamed to say, to say anything that it comes, belongs to you. Because in the end of the day, God, God knows you better. And Amen. then... It is important also that we recognize that we have things to change, that we all do sometimes 
persecute people, not even about race, but different things. And that's, 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 also, that's also important mm -hmm. because gossiping, talking about people, making up stories, and just in the way that we relate with people, it shows that probably our relationship with God is not in the point mm -hmm. that it has to be. That's excellent. Yeah, I was thinking on that. It's really good. Give her a hand. Amen. On the area of, it's not just color, but also class. And many times we can be of the same color and look down on people because maybe they're of a lower class than us or they have a different educational opportunity. Thank you. Brother Jimmy, tell us uh, something the congregation practically that they can take, uh, take away from here today. Okay. Uh, first of all, if we call ourselves Christians, we got to be Christians for the day and tomorrow, the next day and the next day. Come on, uh, amen. <laughs> there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. Right. You can't be in here today praising the Lord and then out there calling me the N-word the next day. That ain't going to get it. So therefore, what I'm saying is basically be yourself, be a Christian, go the Christian route, regardless of what your brother or your sister says, we know that when you say you're a Christian, a lot of people are not going to like it. But that's okay. We're going to get our glory. Come on, Because we know where it comes from. Amen. But it's our job to reach out and teach others what we know and try to bring them into the house of the Lord. Amen. And once we do that, then we got one person, one person get 20, and that's the way we spread things around in terms of whatever it may be. And believe it or not, that could release some tension and race at the same time. Right, hmm? absolutely. So uh, the congregation, city church, their family, just something practical today for them. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say that city church does a very good job, and I've been going here 18 years, and for 18 years, we have kept the same agenda basically in terms of how we build relationships in, at City Church. And one of the ways is very simple. You may not even think or even think about it, but you are asked to get out of your seat, go shake your neighbor's hand, talk with your neighbor. That is one practice that we don't take lightly because if you do that, nine times out of 10, you will get to know that person sitting next to you and you can't be judging that person because you know that person. So if I'm sitting out there with you or another black person sitting next to you, don't think about what you heard on the news about turn, what that turn black out person the news. did. Yeah, don't think that because that brother's here for a reason, and basically he's here for the same reason you are. Nine times out of ten, he is a Christian. So therefore, don't be afraid to communicate with the next person sitting next to you, be it black, white, green, Asian, or whatever. And that's my word. Amen. Thank you. So where do we go from here? We're the light of the world. We're called by Christ to let our light shine so that men may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It's time for a heart check. It's time to check our hearts. You know, we bring perspectives and biases and understandings of life because of the filter or the lens from which we see our world. Uh, you might not wear physical glasses like I do today, but you have a set of lenses. Lenses in which you make judgments and, and determinations and the way you view and see the way that life works. And sometimes the way that we see the world isn't necessarily the right way to see the world. We're not right just because it's our opinion. We're only right 
if God says that it's right. And so today we have to take a moment and we have to say, God, where is my heart in this journey? God, is there anything in me that's, uh, that shows uh, discrimination or prejudice towards another person because of the, their class or their color or their country of origin? I mean, the fact is, I, when I ministered in the Filipino community, I remember very clearly we had different, di- different language groups in the Filipino community. We had the, the national language. They spoke Tagalog, and then we had the Ilocanos in our church. And the Tagalog people and the people of Ilocano tongue, they didn't get around, get along. They were the same color of skin. They came from the same country, but because they spoke a different dialect, they had animosity and enmity towards one another. The fact is today that we all need to do a heart check. Paul the Apostle, who was the the premier leader of the kingdom of God expanding, tearing down the wall of division between Jew and Gentile, he clearly said this as he demonstrated it in his life when he was willing to cross the divide, just like Jimmy did. Jimmy reached out to a person who was different from him, a person who had even been derogatory towards him and said negative things about him. Paul the Apostle told the church, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another with love. And look at this next verse. Make every effort. Make every effort. Every effort. Do your part to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body. There's one Spirit. There's one hope, there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one Father who is the Father of us all. God is challenging us today. What about our attitudes? What's really in our heart? Allow God today to expose through the Spirit, through His Spirit, the unity of His Spirit. What is God saying to you today? The second thing is that it isn't just attitudes. God's requiring action of us. There's a step that we must take in our political environment. And there, there's so much vitriolic language. And we wear labels and logos based on our race or political affiliation. There's so much conflict and tension in our world today. And the fact is in Jesus, in the words of Jesus, when he was challenging a young man who was trying to figure out whether this Jesus was real or not. And he'd asked him about eternal life. Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say? And the Bible says we're to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus said, well, who is your neighbor? And that is the question we must ask today. Who is our neighbor? And he begins to tell a story. You see, in Jesus' day, there, there, were peop- there were Jewish people, and their identity, their identity was in their Jewishness. Their identity was in the religious perspective Their identity was in the law of God, the words of Moses and their father, Abraham. And he began to tell a story about who a man we would call a Palestinian. He was a Syrian. And Jesus said, the one who shows action, the one who demonstrated action was the one who really loved. Not the religious person because they had all the right language, they had all the right words, they had all the right doctrine. No, the person who really demonstrates love is the one who understands the love of God. The fact is today God is calling us as a congregation to action. We cannot keep our head in the sand. We cannot just pretend like this isn't an issue in our culture. We can't just try to run from it or hide from it. The fact is every one of us in this room have a part to bring healing to our land. 
We need to be intentional. Jesus was intentional. He intentionally reached out to not only the religious leaders, but uh, to the tax collectors, to the beggars, to the homeless, and even the Samaritan woman at the well. And to each one that he reached out to, he expressed his desire and his father's desire to have a loving relationship with them. We, too, need to be intentional. You know, when Jesus uh, gathered his disciples to try to express to them how they could be examples of him, he said this. He said, you've heard the law that says to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you today that you are to love your enemy and pray for those that persecute you so you can show that you are truly the sons of God. And I know for many of us in this room, that's a difficult message to receive. We've been hurt. We've been mistreated. We've been done wrong. But the gospel message, the reason Jesus came was for forgiveness. And only with forgiveness can you have love. You can't love without true forgiveness. So what do we do? We, we take the Lord's lead and we get intentional. Just as Brother Jimmy did reaching out. So you know what, this week when you go to the grocery store and you see someone of a different race, you're just going to, with confidence, walk right up to them and say, what's up? How are you? My name is. And then, you know, have a deeper conversation. And then get their phone number and then start a long-term relationship. Or you could even begin just right here in this church. Maybe that's a little easier. Right now you're in a place where people of different nations, generations, and cultures and races come to worship one God. Maybe next week you sit somewhere different, next to someone you didn't know, and you introduce yourself to them. You invite them to a small group. Today's actually Small Group Sunday, and that's just a great way. That's how we at City Church connect. And before you leave today, I really encourage you to to go out there and talk to one of the small group leaders. Be a part of that. You know, and I really believe that if you have that type of relationship here at church, that you'll find that at your job, it's probably a little easier to invite someone new to lunch or in your neighborhood to introduce yourself to someone who just moved in or maybe even take a mission trip and go share God's love in a different country and help people of a different nation. Be intentional. You know, we can even be intentional with our children. My son is only three years old, Martin Mandela Miles, but he intentionally knows and is beginning to understand how big God's family is. That it spans far beyond Sanford to all the different nations, generations, and cultures of this world. And he has the opportunity to be a part of that. So you know what, today as we close, I'm gonna ask everyone here to stand. And as representative of Christ, we have a special opportunity to share his message of reconciliation, which simply just means that he unites things that were intended to be together in the first place to God and man. And show of our unity, I'm going to ask us to hold hands today with your neighbor, no matter who's next to you or where they came from or what the world labels them as. 
because today we know that we're a part of one body in Christ. Can we pray? Father God, we ask today that you do a heart check for us. Your word says that people do what they see is right, but the Lord examines the heart. We pray today that you would examine our heart and reveal to us anything that is not of you. And that you would begin a transformation in us right here today. Help us to be intentional. Intentional in growing closer to you. Intentional in loving our neighbor. We know today that it is not okay to do nothing. You command us to love. First, to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and mind. And then you say the second commandment, which is equal to the first, to love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray, Lord God, that you give us the strength to do that today. Lord, we thank you today. You've called us to be a city that's set upon a hill the city upon a hill can't hide and therefore we're to we're to let our light shine so that the whole world may see lord i pray today that labels and logos and languages would begin to change god you said if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways god for everyone in this room that's harbored bitterness unforgiveness harbored any kind of uh, a prejudice or discrimination. They've used it in their, in their language, they, in their private times, in their thoughts, Lord. They, they've harbored uh, ignorance or, or fear towards other people. God, I pray today that you will heal our hearts. God, we thank you today for the grace that's so amazing. You said if we would call upon you and we would ask of you that you would heal our land. God, let this church be a beacon of light in this community. Right here in the city of Sanford, Lake Mary, Seminole County. God, not only from this community, but let it be a beacon that shines out into Volusia County, into Orange County, into Lake County. God, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray today for every person that's here, the sound of my voice, that we would leave here with a different perspective, a clear understanding that you've commanded us, you've called us to love one another. Thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you that we can link arms and join hands and bringing your love to this city one person at a time to people from every generation, nation, and culture so that every person in this city may become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. God, heal our land. Heal our land. Jesus, in your mighty and your wonderful and your powerful name, and everyone said, Amen. Can you tell the Lord you love him? Come on, let's give the Lord a great big hand.